Now, our purpose in this series is to be intentional about building solid, strong family relationships. We're living in a culture that has devalued the family, trying to re-identify the family. But remember, the family is God's idea. And he's no, he's no uh, further along in redefining the family than when he initially designed it in the very beginning. Amen? The culture might be trying to change it, but God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Now, the first week we talked about building marriages that last. You know, one of the worst things that can happen to an individual is to go through divorce. And God hates divorce because he hates what happens to people that get through divorce. There's always heartache, heartbreak, and terrible things that happen to people that just go through that terrible experience of divorce. Amen? And then we talked about raising children that become responsible adults. You know, look, as the church, we should focus on investing in our children. And, and sometimes we're ready to go out there to win the loss when we're not doing the job in the church in raising our own children that are supposed to be our godly posterity. Amen. So we need to focus on raising our children that become responsible adults so they're not asking you to pay their rent when they're 45 years old. Amen? Now today we're going to talk about um, navigate, successfully navigating the single life. And, you know, I got the chance to experience uh, years as a Christian, uh, almost seven years as a Christian once I got saved before I got married. And I understand the challenge. And, you know, uh, and so we're going to talk about that this morning, because when you talk about the different, uh, you know, the different uh, marital statuses of people in the church, you know, you have, you know, the people that are widowed, people that are divorced, people that are are single, people that are not, not old enough yet to get married, all those. And so it's a big segment of our population. But one of the greatest challenges in the Christian life is really negotiating the single life. And, and it's transitioning from being single to married. You know, it, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough road. One of the greatest challenges of Christian parents is to help our children transition from being single to being married. So both single, uh, singles as well as parents have a challenge before them because you have this, this, uh, this environment called the world that you gotta contend with where, uh, we're not of the world, but yet we're in the world and we gotta try to live the Christian life in this world. We're not letting the world take over us and make us more like them. Amen. But you know, some children start dating by the age of seven and even younger now. You know, I heard a family say they had a kindergartner and they had girls uh, wanting to give them uh, their son, their number in kindergarten. Are you kidding me? And so, you know, they're going steady by the time they're 10 and uh, they get pregnant and have to consider getting married by age 15 and they become a candidate for divorce by the age of 18. Now that I just described to you a cycle that keeps repeating itself in our society over and over again. And then there's still other adults that have had so many broken and failed relationships that they're totally disillusioned and discouraged with relationships. Even Christian adults are struggling to have normal, healthy relationships in the context of living the Christian life. And I believe that one of the reasons we have so many broken 
uh, broken marriages as well as broken hearts in our society is because of bad dating relationships. You know, the first step to, you know, having a solid marriage is those of you that are not married is get it right before you start. We're handling our dating relationships the wrong way. And Proverbs 16.25 says this, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. There's a path that seems right, but it ends in death. My paraphrase of this verse says this, There is a relational dating path that seems right in the world's eyes, but it ends in shattered dreams and broken hearts. Even in the church, we try the world's way of doing relationships and all they end up doing is bringing us destruction and heartache. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. You know, I think if we trust and follow the counsel of the Lord, We can improve our relationships. Don't you think so, brothers and sisters? I believe if we trust the Lord, follow his ways, we can spare ourselves from having broken hearts and damaged emotions and set ourselves up to have a long, happy, lasting marriage. Amen? I think if we acknowledge God's will in our dating relationships, he'll help us successfully navigate the single life. So let me give you a couple of suggestions and on on navigating the single life. First, commit to being content with your single status. You know, sometimes as a single person, I I know personally, I, I, I speak from experience, you can feel inferior to married people. You can feel like a misfit in society. And uh, especially during social gatherings around the holidays, you know, and then you have people that help with the inferiority complex whenever they say stuff like, Hey, when you're getting married, hey, how old are you? You know, the time is ticking, buddy. You better hurry up. Hey, you need some help? Like as if you don't know, you know. And then you look at them and you look at their marriage and you go, oh, no. No, please spare me. You know, these kinds of experiences, they reinforce the idea that you're inferior or misfit. But reject that lie that you're inferior or a misfit as a single person. Listen, according to Scripture, being single is a gift from God. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 says, I wish everyone were single, just as I am. But God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. Now, hold up. Notice Paul said, some get the gift of marriage. It's a gift. If you've been single a long time and you're married, it's a gift. And listen, if you're single, it's a gift. Paul viewed singleness as a gift from God. So instead of believing the lie that married people are, are inferior, or, or excuse me, married people are superior to single people, reject that lie and believe the truth that being single is a season of life that is truly a gift of God. Because if you do it right, once you get married, buddy, you're never going to be single again. Amen? Until you die, right? Philippians 4.11, Paul said, Not that I speak from one, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. If you can't be happy as a single, 
then you probably won't be happily married either. Amen. Listen, getting married is not going to make you happy. Amen. So if you can't be happy as a single person, you're probably still going to be unhappy when you get married. It's a huge mistake to think a relationship will solve all your emotional, physical, psychological problems. It won't do it. And all the married people said, amen. Amen. So you need to find a place of happiness and contentment in your single state. Amen. In verse 12, Paul said, Philippians 4, 12, Paul said, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Do you know you can, you can, you can live in every situation? Verse 13, for I can do everything. How? Through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul learned the secret of contentment and happiness in whatever situation he was in. And his secret was his relationship with Jesus Christ. Now listen, some people go from relationship to relationship. They go from bad relationship to bad relationship. You know why? Because they're looking to relationships to fill a need only God can fill. Some people go from one abusive and unhealthy relationship to another abusive and unhealthy relationship. Why? Because they're looking for love, contentment, and happiness in all the wrong places. This was the problem with the lady at the well. Remember the lady at the well? In John chapter 4, remember... In verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16, Jesus said, go and get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, what was all this about? I believe the reason this lady couldn't satisfy her thirst was because she was looking to relationships to meet a need in her life that, listen, only God can meet. If you think jumping out of your marriage to get another marriage is going to solve your problem, sister or brother, you're mistaken. Because you're going to be in that next relationship. And if you haven't filled your thirst in God, you're going to jump in another relationship, creating a problem that that person could never fill in their lifetimes. She had five husbands and was living with someone still thirsty. Jesus was saying, hey, listen, quit looking to relationships to meet a need that only God can meet. Listen, a key to successful navigating the Christian life or the single Christian life is learning to be content and happy with have, being single. And which only comes through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Number two, the second suggestion to successfully navigate the single life is commit to keeping your relationship pure. Wouldn't you agree that Christian relationships should be different than the world's relationships? Come on. Let me ask that question again. We are a church here. Wouldn't you agree that Christian relationships should be different than worldly relationships? They should, shouldn't they? Listen, Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So Christians should keep their relationship sexually pure. Now, two things to consider concerning sex and relationships. 
One is God created sex. Therefore, it's not sinful, nor is it immoral. It's not, you know, it's not sinful. Sex is not a bad word. Amen? Galatians or Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and govern it. Fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Means be intimate. God created and ordained sex for two reasons. One, the first purpose God created sex is for recreation or procreation. Without this built-in direction and purpose of sex, mankind would only be one generation away from extinction. But the second purpose of God creating sex is actually for our physical pleasure and to improve our relationships in our marriage. In Ecclesiastes 99, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he's given you under the sun. And this is your reward in life and in, and in your toll in which you have labored under the sun. Encourages us to enjoy our marriage relationship. Both purposes God created and ordained sex for are both pure and godly. But God created sex to be enjoyed only inside the boundaries of marriage, a marriage covenant between man and wife. That's what he created it for. According to scripture, sex is morally acceptable and pure when shared inside and between one man and one woman in marriage. Amen? The only time sex becomes sinful or immoral is when it's taken outside the context of marriage or the boundaries of which God has intended it for. So we can't let the world tell us that something is bad or immoral when God is the one that created. God don't create immorality. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin is clear... So clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God brought you with, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So Paul said sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So anytime we participate in sex outside of marriage, covenant relationship, we sin against ourselves. We sin against our own body. Now, the word body, there's an all-encompassing word, which means your spirit, your soul, your emotions, your mind, and your psychological and your physical body. Every part of your life is negatively affected when we don't keep our relationships sexually pure. Your spiritual life is obviously negatively affected. Your emotional life is negatively affected. Your mental life, your psychological life, your physical body, your spirit, soul, and body, every part of you is affected when you're participating in sexual immorality. It's like spiritually drinking poison. There's a lady I ran into whenever I got a chance to preach at Hope Alive and I didn't recognize her when she came up and introduced herself. And I knew this lady from high school, beautiful lady, just had a wonderful life ahead. But uh, along the way, she got off track, got into drugs, and in her own admission, got into prostitution to make money to buy drugs. And I didn't recognize this lady 20 years later or or 10 years later. She, She seemed like she was 20, 30 years her age. That's the price you pay. 
whenever you don't live pure. Winky Pratt in his book, Youth of Flame, put it like this. Sex is like a fire. A fire is amoral, meaning it's neither good nor bad. The same flame that warms a home can burn it down. There is no difference between the fire that comforts and the fire that kills. Each burns the same way. But in one case, it burns in its proper place and time. And in the second, it burns out of the limits and out of and it's out of control. The same built-in joys God gave sex in the right way can become raging fires of destruction. The same flame that warms a home can burn it down. The same sex that God created, that God gave mankind for recreation and physical pleasure can become the catalyst for destroying every healthy, strong, lasting, vibrant relationship in your life. So if you want to do it God's way, keep pure. Amen? Come on, y'all say a better amen right there. Third suggestion to successfully navigate the single life is commit to investing your time wisely. Invest your time wisely. You know, the negative of being single is you have a lot of free time on your hands. The positive of being single is you have a lot of free time on your hands. Amen? Now, what you do with that free time is really essential to living a victorious life. What you do with your time. Ephesians 5.15 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Three suggestions in, in using your time as a single person is one, use your time investing in godly relationships. First Corinthians 15.33 said, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Listen, it's hard work to walk with God when you're hanging around people who are not interested in God. Hey, listen, I didn't read that in a book. I can tell you that personally. It's hard to live for God when you're hanging around people that are not interested in living for God. I know that firsthand. I've tried it. I failed miserably. I know firsthand. It's hard to stay morally pure when you're hanging around people that are not interested in being morally pure. Amen. When I first got saved, I would do good during the week. But when it came time for the weekend, I'd fall off the wagon. And then, you know, why, why, why was it? Because every time I got to the weekend, that's whenever I'd start hanging around with my drug buddies and the crowd that I, I lived the worldly life with. It was the bad company that was calling, causing me to fall off the wagon. And then my friend Doug Renard and I, we uh, joined up the singles group, which is at, was at, here at the church. And all of a sudden, things began to change. Why? Because I simply changed who I was hanging with on the weekend. You know, listen, Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. All you got to do is hang around the wrong place. When you hang around those interested in serving God, you increase your chances greatly of finding a wise, godly person to marry. Somebody said it like this. You're not likely to find God's will for your life or for you in marriage hanging around in the local singles bar. Amen. Come on. You can do, you can say amen right there. The second suggestion for using your time wisely is use your time investing in deepening your spiritual walk. 
The reality is you'll never have more time to focus on your walk with God than while you're single. 1 Corinthians 7.32 says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. And all the married people said... Now, let me encourage those who are single, invest your time in getting involved in spiritual growth, like in the spiritual growth classes, Bible studies, in learning and growing. Verse 32 in 1 Corinthians 7 says, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. Listen, you know why most marriages fail? Because of lack of godly character. Invest your time in your spiritual walk. Invest your time in working on your character. I remember, I remember praying one day, God, I want to marry a godly woman. And this is what she looks like. This is her character. And I remember God just saying, listen, I don't have any trouble helping you find a godly person. What I'm most concerned about is you becoming a godly man. Because if I can get you on the right track, it'll be easy for me to get. But I can't mess up somebody else's life on your behalf. (laughs) Amen. Come on. Y'all like that way too much right there. And so listen, remember this. You will attract who you are. And if you want a godly person, set your sights on being a godly person. If you want to marry a lukewarm Christian a nominal Christian that has no conviction, then you just live your life that way. You're probably going to attract one like that. But if you want somebody that's faithful, that's loyal to her God and her master, and will live her life in the fear of God, and live his life serving the master, then you work on being that person because you will attract who you are, not what you want. Amen? Number three, invest your time in church and the community. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work, the Scripture says. You know, I received this revelation from the Lord. If I learn to become a servant and begin serving people as a single person, and that was usually done in the context of church, volunteering, helping, I thought, wow, it's going to help me to be successful in marriage and a family because when you get in a family, you got to do a lot of serving. Have you noticed that? If you have it, you need to, hey, if you got a family, you need to serve somebody. That's what, that's the context of relationships. Amen. And so I thought, wow, man, while you're single, you can learn how to serve. And so when you get married, it's not going to be where you're so filled with yourself and selfishness that you have marriage problems right out of the gate because you don't want to do anything for anybody. Hey, that's good preaching right there. Amen. Isn't that true? Oh, and everybody that's married said, amen. We know that firsthand, right? And so listen, the fourth and final suggestion to successfully navigating the single life is commit to following biblical guidelines. 
And, and three thoughts concerning biblical guidelines is, number one, commit to letting God guide you in your relationships. Listen what Matthew 19 Four says, and he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse six. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You know, the reality is we can try to make our relationships happen in our own strength. Or we can allow God to help lead us in our relationships. What God has joined together. In other words, if you let God help you in your relationships, it's liable to be a solid. It's liable to last. If you want your marriage to last, spend the time. Let God guide you. Commit your single life. Commit your future to the Lord. Listen, surrendering your marriage to God and praying for God's will to be done and in your, in your relationships is the best way to go. You know, I was a youth pastor. I was a singles leader. Uh, we've been in church for a long time. We've seen lots of people come and go. And I'll tell you, you know, some people, it just seems like they did great until it got to relational time. And then they just like shipwrecked because they couldn't trust God in this area of their life. Like, God, there's no way you're going to pick the person that I would want. And there's no way I could trust you to get this thing done for me. I'm going to help you out. All right. And it's a shipwreck. So just trust God. Commit to, commit to letting God help you. Amen? But the other thing is commit to marry only someone who walks with God. You know, listen, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? So listen, not someone, you know, make sure that you commit to, to, to only going out. Don't missionary date. Like I'm going to date them and win them to the Lord. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's like, you know, that's dangerous. I could tell you some stories on that one. But just commit to, listen, if they're not a Christian, don't even spend your time. Because if you allow that relationship to develop, once you get emotionally attached, man, it's so strong that you're going to compromise your relationship with God to make the relationship happen. Listen, Bruce Johnson says to teenagers, never marry a cultural Christian, marry a godly person. The definition of a godly person is someone who walks with God. You know, some people will just come to church because they know that, you know, Christian girls have better morals than worldly and they don't want to marry somebody that they can't trust. So they come looking in church, but they have no intentions in serving God. So just because they show up at church, don't let that be the, oh, well, in church, bless, that's God's green light. No, no, hold up a minute. Listen, here's the secret. If you want to know where somebody really is spiritually, watch them from a distance before they even know you're really interested. In Luke 6, 44, Jesus said, each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. 
So, you know, look for someone who displays a genuine heart for God. Listen to what comes out of their mouth. Watch how they treat their family. Watch, ladies, watch how they, how a man treats his mother. Watch how they treat their siblings. You can find out a lot about a person by just observing, can't you? And so if you observe and you watch them, you can find out where they really are. And listen, they are people that are godly, that want God's blessing, and they are looking around, and they're watching. So you just stay on the right track spiritually and don't give up. Don't throw in the towel and say, well, maybe God will work this out. And finally, commit to courtship versus dating. You know, dating is usually a series of short-term relationships. It's like trying on shoes. I'll try on, see if it fits. If it doesn't, I'll get me a new pair. Meanwhile, there's a string of broken hearts. Courtship is more deciding not to date, but waiting until God brings the right person in your life. In Matthew 1.18, says the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they came together. You know, it's interesting you can't find the word date in the old Webster dictionaries. It's a, a fairly new concept to, Western, to the Western world. But betrothed means to be engaged for matrimony. And so basically, I think the difference between dating and courtship, there's a whole lot more seriousness involved. Like you don't just try a relationship on for size. And, you know, whenever I got married, I'd been serving God for six and a half years, but I got saved when I was 22. Both Tiny and I both experienced the heartache and heartbreak of relationships. And, I, you know, when you get into church, it should be different. But, you know, listen, those of you that are single out there, whenever you, however you treat that young man or that young lady, that's God's son or God's daughter. Don't try them on for size. You better fast and pray and ask God His will. Amen? Because there's no sense in us breaking each other's heart in church if we just keep it seriously and follow God's will. And by the way, don't just follow your will. Get your parents involved. Let them pray with you. Get spiritual people around you that can help you negotiate that. It's too big of a decision to just walk through on your own. Amen? Come on, y'all help me preach this morning. Is that right? And so listen, you know, there, you know, I was, um, there's some couples in church here that, uh, that did this. And it's, it's turned out very well. You know, I was thinking, uh, in fact, uh, in 2005, we did a little courtship dating thing, uh, on a Sunday afternoon. It's a two, it's a two, uh, CD thing. And if any of you are interested in that, I want to give you that. Just go to the Resource Center and order it. I'm going to ask Doug to just duplicate it and send it to you. But, you know, whenever I got saved, I had I'd never heard of courtship. But whenever I heard it, I thought, man, this is crazy. This is really foreign. But, you know, there was something in me before hearing that that I knew that it wasn't right what I experienced in the world. I knew that breaking hearts and getting your heart broken wasn't God's will. There had to be a better way. And whenever I heard this courtship principle, it really made sense. 
But there's couples in church like, you know, Grady and Renee. I don't know if they're here this morning, but Seth and Bridget and others that have just really took this thing whenever, you know, and, and have really done well with it. You know, that that book that we mentioned earlier, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, is about a guy who had, you know, an experience of broken hearts and dating. And he said, man, they got to be another way. So that's what the whole book's about. Encourage you to just get that book if you're single and get the concept. Because God wants to help you successfully navigate through the single Christian life. It's not an easy thing to wade through. As parents, it's not an easy thing to wade through. By the way, if you have teenagers, we have another resource called Journey to Transition by Bruce Johnson. And he talks about how to transition and how to prepare your teenager for that time. And I encourage you, these are great resources, but I encourage you to tap into them and use them. Amen? But finally, a biblical concept is commit to personally walk with God. As a single person, you commit yourself to walk with God. God wants to help you. You know, in this world, it's like relationships are so, they're, they're so shallow, they're so surface. But God's intention for relationship is to be in contacts of love and nurture and, 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 and affection. It, it's, it's supposed to be the, the environment that you, we receive and we give the love of God. It's not supposed to be this harsh, hard, hurting, caustic environment. Are you all with me out here? So we got to do everything that we can. As a, as a body of Christ and as believers to strengthen our marriage relationships and our parenting relationships and our single life and our single relationships. Do the best that we can to navigate through our relationships and do it God's way so we can be spared and we can be blessed of God as he leads us. The scripture says in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart. Not a little of your heart, all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge God in all of your life. In other words, let Him be involved. Let Him take charge. Let Him be in control. And He will make your paths straight. Amen. How many of you believe the Word of God is true? Amen. Would you stand with me? And let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father God. To all the, all the singles out there that are here today, I just want to encourage you. Just right where you are, just make a commitment to God and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your leadership. You know, the Bible says, trust the Lord with all your heart. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life, your whole heart to the Lord. You know, it's kind of like being in a relationship and having half your heart in. You've got to put all your heart in. But if you hear in spiritually speaking, you've never given your, your whole heart to Jesus. I want to encourage you to do so this morning. Just open up your life and say, Jesus, I need you. 
that's you today and you say, Todd, would you pray for me? I want to be a Christian. I want to live for the Lord. I want to be all in. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just raise your hand so I can see it. And I want to pray a special prayer for you because Jesus wants to help you this morning. Way back here. I see your hand over here. I see your hand. Anybody else? Just wave it at me so I can see. And I want to pray with you. Those of you that raised your hands, let's pray together. Just open up your heart. Sir, I see your hand. Listen, those of you that raised your hand, there you go. There you go. Just surrender right where you are. Come on back here. Just say, God, I need your help. Let's all pray together, saints. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Lord Jesus, I want to be forgiven. I want to live the Christian life. Help me today. I surrender to you. I give my heart to you. My whole heart to you. Lord Jesus, help me to live the way you want me to. Empower me with your spirit. From this day on, give me the grace to live the Christian life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.